Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a blessed day. So uh, we're back to the book of Ruth. We're here for this Sunday and next Sunday. We're in the middle of family month every, fa- every February in the, in, in, uh, of the year at the River Church. We do a series on the family and how the Bible relates to our families. And we're in the book of Ruth. And I want, but I do want to say from the onset this morning, this whole week, I've just been hit with the greatness of God, how great he is, how awesome he is. And he's greater than any of us can comprehend. And I just want to read a few passages of scripture to get our minds focused upon that this morning. Psalm 145.3 says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud crashing cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Psalm 66.3 says, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 1 Chronicles 29.11 says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above it all. And finally, Psalm 95.3, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And any of us that love football around here have had something to root for. Lions have done good, Right? I get it. You don't like me right now because of the 49er thing. But the reality is we've, many of us have lifted up a shout for our football teams. Our God is greater. Yes. And, how, and every time, I got I to tell you this. For me personally, every time I cheer for, and get crazy for the 49ers, I'm reminded that I better not be more cheering for them than I am for when I worship my God. And so when I come in this room, when we come in this room, when we're in our private moments together or individually worshiping the Lord, worship him because he's great. Never forget how awesome he is. He is the Lord, our God, and he is worthy of praise. And so we can, amen, amen. So let us not come in here and just give it half of our energy. I often tell people, you know, maximize that personality. If the most you do when you're cheering for something, you go, yes. <laughs> then it better be, yes, for God. I mean, <laughs> you know, maximize that. I don't expect you to be somebody you're not. God doesn't expect you to be somebody you're not. But when it comes to him, give him your all. And he is worthy of our praise. And we can try to comprehend him. And he has made himself known, but nothing that we can conceive in our minds even begins to describe who our God is. And as we come in here today, we get to behold him. 
he does reveal himself to us in all kinds of different ways. We get to come near. We get to hear from his word. We get to hear from his heart. We get to be challenged and encouraged by him. So let's not take it for granted today because he, it's a truly awesome thing to know and to serve our God. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure about God or Jesus today, or you're not sure where you are on your journey, I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I want you to know this is a place where you can ask questions. You can get questions answered. We have growth communities you can get involved in. I would love to have coffee. I love Starbucks. I love to talk about God at Starbucks. It's a, it's a fun thing to do. I love to answer questions and talk about the Lord. But I want you to know that this God that is so huge that we cannot comprehend fully on this earth loves you. He loves you. He died for you. And we're going to hear about that today as we go through this account of Ruth. So as we dig into the book of Ruth again today, I want to talk a little bit about where we've been, because I know not everybody has has been here the the last couple of weeks too. We talked about how God works in the midst of tragedy in week one. And if you are going through a tough time right now, I'd encourage you to go back on our website and go to week one of this series. Um, There's nine different messages you can listen to because we put all of the messages up on each week. If you look for the Lake Warren one, you'll see me up there, Josh Yates. And I spoke specifically on tragedy that Sunday because... Um, we, we, have to, we have to determine whether or not God is worth choosing in the midst of tragedy. Is he worth choosing in the midst of tragedy? Because when we look at the book, this account of Ruth, Naomi is one of the, is one of the people in this book, the, the, the mom, the mother-in-law. She lost her husband and all of her sons after moving to a foreign land. They, they, they'd had to move to Moab because all of Israel was in the middle of a famine. There was no food. We have no idea what a famine is for us, but there was a famine. They, they couldn't have any sustenance at all. But it got even worse because Moab was a country who did not worship God. Moab was a country that, in fact, enticed Israel to worship other gods. And Elimelech, who is the dad, decided to move the whole family toward the evil and away from God because he had to figure out things on his own. And we, we learned that Sunday that every single one of us has a choice in tragedy to either move away from God or, or move toward God. And we have those choices. Then Elimelech would die. And then 10 years later, both of her sons die. And now she's left with two Moabite son, daughters-in-law, which isn't great either because they, don't, they weren't raised to, to serve God. And so Naomi tries to push him away and tell him to go back home. And Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, decides to go back home finally. But Ruth says one of the most awesome things in the Bible. I love this passage of scripture. It's Ruth 1, 16 to 17. It says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth would make the one true God her God. Then they return home and Naomi's a mess. She's depressed. She's at least half blaming God. She's empty, she says. She's bitter. In fact, change my name from Naomi to Mara. It means bitter. And God has dealt harshly with me, Naomi says. And then they return to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Remember that for later. And Ruth just happens to go and serve Naomi in the field of Boaz, a relative of Elimelech. 
Ruth 2.3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And last week we learned about how to serve even when it's hard. Ruth's in a new land. She doesn't know anybody. She has to go do this work among the men, which is not the norm for the day. She goes at the end of the day to get food for her family. And it's dangerous for so many reasons. She's vulnerable. She could be taken advantage of. And yet she goes and does it anyway. And Boaz protects her and tells all the young men, stay away. But he also notices her work ethic and the kind of person that she is. And he in chapter two, is a little bit smitten. He's a little bit smitten by Ruth. And he sees her character. And Ruth is living with her mother-in-law. And so we're going to be in the, account of, in, the account of, or in the book of Ruth, chapter three today. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. If you have your device, pull it up on your device. If you don't have a Bible app on your device, you can download the River Church app and you can follow along the, the, the ESV edition or translation of the Bible is in our app at the River Church as well. But I think it's important that we can read it together and we see it together. It's not just an opinion I'm trying to share. I'm really trying to be faithful to the word of God. And I want to make sure you see it in his word too. But before we get into chapter 3, I have a couple more things i got to make sure we're aware of. First of all, we have to understand the time in which Ruth lives. The deaths of Ruth's father-in-law and the sons and her husband and you know, Orpah's husband, but the, but the death of those three men would have been cap- catastrophic for these two women, Naomi and Ruth. They would have literally nothing. In fact, they had left their homeland to go to Moab, so there wasn't really much even left back home. Naomi was just grasping for straws by moving back home, hoping that something would be different. Even though there was now food in Israel, there's not much they could do because they didn't own anything. Women weren't able to own land. If they had stayed in Israel, they may have been able to keep the land, but, and it would have been something, but they're going back to what is essentially nothing. They had returned home empty, as Naomi had said, and then she was extremely depressed and empty. And being in the fields, like I said, was not something women did. Ruth's service to Naomi was huge. Leaving home and everything she knew to serve Naomi and to serve God. Women were, were, were dependent upon the male heirs of the family for support. So in short, Naomi and Ruth were desperate and they needed help. They could not do this on their own. They were in a hole that they could not get out of on their own. It just wouldn't happen. And then we come to Ruth chapter 3. Let's read it. It says this, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative who with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, saw a few people like that in Vegas last week, um, he, went down to, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? 
And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. She lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So all that makes sense, right? Uncovering feet, laying down, threshing floors, barley, all this kind of stuff. You got it all, right? I don't think so. I think we, we got to look at what's actually going on here to understand the significance because there is a lot of awesome things happening here. You're like, really? <laughs> yes, believe me. There's a lot of awesomeness happening here. So right off at the beginning, Naomi comes to Ruth and she has devised a plan. And she comes to Ruth and she says, hey, I'm seeking rest for you and for Naomi. I mean, they've been through, really, they've been through hell. They had been through a lot, losing so much. And she comes up with a plan to make things better than they were. Honestly, Naomi's coming up with a little bit of a scheme here. She's scheming a little bit. She's being a little sneaky. She already tried to push Ruth away because she was only seeing what was in front of her, which, by the way, grief and loss can do that, can't it? to where you can only see what's right in front of you. She lost how, sight of how God works. But in the meantime, they just happened to arrive at the barley harvesting time, right? She just happened to start collecting grain in Boaz's field, right? No, there are no coincidences when God is in control. And so she's scheming, but God was still working. God moved Ruth along with Naomi in care for her and for Ruth. God is, devised, God is using all of this. Man, I can't wait to get to the end of the message because it, it, it blows my mind. But I'm not going to do it yet. you got to hold on. It's so hard to wait with expectation and faith, though, isn't it? When you're in the middle of tough times, your expectation becomes, when's the next shoe going to drop? When's the next bad thing going to happen? Oh my goodness, how, I mean, what else can go wrong? And things do and can go wrong. I mean, I make my plans all of the time, and I tend to go to God between middle and last, not first. I try to go to God more often, sooner, but how many times do all of us make plans first, and then we go, well, that didn't work. I better, guess I better ask God for some help. And usually we've made it worse. Like I said in week one, parenting an adult child has been a challenge for me. Not because my daughter Kylie is doing bad things or anything, but that I can see places where she's struggling. I can see things that are happening and I just want to fix it. Because I, I, I can see ahead a little bit. And But God is continually reminding me not to scheme, 
not to control the situation and to give her to him because he loves her more than I ever will. For those of you who don't know, I have a 19-year-old daughter that's a sophomore at college in Cornerstone. I guess I better give you that, 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 that context. So she's learning how to be on her own too. I, I got to trust that he has her and he holds her and that ultimately if I keep intervening, I can actually keep her from learning the lessons that God is trying to teach her. But we want a scheme. We think we can control things. And so we try and often we miss God's blessing in that. But we can also, in the middle of tough times, be so paralyzed into inaction. And that's not what happens here in Ruth, but we can be paralyzed. We have to wait for God to move. And then, once God moves, then we move. So Naomi is in this process of trying to place Ruth in the best situation for being redeemed. I'll discuss the redeeming part here in a minute. We'll just, I think we could suffice it to say at the beginning, we have a, when we take our pop cans back, we have a redemption value, Right? It's redeeming it for what it's worth or redeeming it for a, at, a, at a price. We had to pay the 10 cents up front, get the 10 cents back later, and so we, we redeem the can, all right? So it's, it's not a great illustration, but at least get us to where we need to be at the uh, thinking. So Naomi tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor. Again, not a good place for a woman to be at night. It's a place for men only. In fact, not so good women would show up at the threshing floor at times, so that we got this situation here. But she tells her to, to get herself ready, put on some makeup, do your hair, get your drip on, you know, be, be ready to go, and make sure it's a coat, make sure to take a coat because it's cold, all right? And sneak into the threshing floor is what Naomi tells her to do. Watch where he lies down, uncover his feet, and lie down. So Ruth chooses to obey, which is what she continually does. And so Ruth does all these things, Boaz's heart was merry. He was in a good mood. And she uncovers his feet and lays down. Just so you know, this act here, there's nothing sexual in this, which the, which the, the, the account continues to say. But this is kind of like Ruth saying, can I have your number? <laughs> can I have your number? Come on, yeah. That, she's kind of... Proposing marriage. I mean, that's kind of what's happening here. This is very out of the norm. She's putting herself out there saying, I need to be redeemed, right? So, and God would work with even this. So again, I want, I want to stress though, this isn't a sexual advance. There's nothing immoral going on here and much care was taken to make intentions clear here. She also uncovered his feet so that he'd wake up and hopefully not wake up anybody else and they could have this conversation at night. That, that his feet got cold. You know, Jeannie tells me all the time, when her feet gets cold, she wakes up. That kind of makes sense, you know. So he, she's trying to get him to wake up and be able to have this conversation. So Boaz does wake up at midnight. God works out all the details. She put herself in this position to ask the questions that needed to be asked. And again, Ruth was vulnerable. A man in this situation and in this very day could well take advantage of the woman in this situation and automatically assume her intentions. But not the righteous Boaz. Not the righteous Boaz. He was honorable and he served God. And he asked her his name as he's kind of freaked out. Whoa, there's a woman. Right? Who are you? Probably had to get his glasses on or something. Couldn't see. But instead of asking for rest, she appeals to Boaz as his servant. Asking him to redeem her and your family. The idea that Ruth says of spreading your wings is an appeal to who God says he is and how he redeemed Israel. And she's asking him to do that for her and her family. 
She recognizes Boaz's position and authority and humbly comes to him as a redeemer. So now, why is this redeeming so important? It's it's an important thing. Remember their situation, how dire it is. There were a few things in this day that was worse than being a widow with no sons. To be in this position, that meant there was no income, there was no support, loss of possessions, and ultimately loss of property. In short, they were desperate and destitute. The only hope they had was for someone to see their plight, be willing to pay the price for redemption. And this alone would prevent them from losing everything. And so here comes Boaz. And Boaz says, now, wait a minute. I am willing, but there's one other person that's a nearer redeemer to you than I am. I mean, see, they're a little bit closely, more closely related. And so being honorable, he says, look, I'm going to go and make sure if, if this other redeemer wants to redeem you and he wants to pay the price, then, I, then, then that's good. But if not... He would get it done. He would redeem her. And so in this process of verses 10 to 14, he, he calls her daughter. It's a term of endearment. And couple that with Boaz talking about her kindness and the fact that she'd come to him rather than all the other younger men, whether poor or rich. He's basically saying, yeah, Ruth, here's my number. He's responding to that question. He's saying yes. And he's going to do all that she's asked and, and, and that she would be redeemed. Everyone knows that she's a worthy woman. But it seems as though Boaz is kind of hoping that this other dude won't be willing to redeem her. He's, I mean, there, there's, this, there's, there's just this like tension in this, in this account where he wants to be the one to be able to redeem Ruth. He's seen her character. He's seen the type of woman she is. And that's attracted him to her. And then he makes sure that her honor is preserved and tells her to stay there until morning and make sure to leave, and she makes sure to leave before anyone could question her honor. And he says, look, don't let anybody know she was here because she came for the right reasons. He wanted to protect her honor. And then he sends her home with these six measures of barley. We're not sure how much that is, but it must be enough to provide for the family for a period of time. And now they wait. So what did Ruth have to do here? What did she actually do. She had to trust. She put the life, her life and, the, and, and her future in the hands of Boaz, this redeemer. The solution to Naomi and Ruth's plight was trusting that Boaz would do what he said he would do. They just had to trust that. And next week when, when we talk, Boaz does redeem her in chapter 4. But there were some qualifications that, that Boaz had to meet in order to be this redeemer, this kinsman redeemer. First of all, you had to be kin. The only way you could be a kinsman redeemer was that you had to be of the same family. There had to be some relational tie within this family. You had to be of the same kind. Someone from another family couldn't bring about the redemption because they were of a different, different kind. So you had to be related. You had to be connected relationally in some way. The second thing is you had to be willing In this story, the person who was next redeemer in line before Boaz was not willing. That opened the door for Boaz to be able to be the redeemer for her. And there was no forcing of somebody redeeming a woman in this situation. Third thing, you had to be able to actually do it. You had to be able to pay the price. Because willingness alone wasn't enough. You had to follow through with the redemption. 
If you didn't have the financial means to take over the debt, to pay off debt, to take care of the land, to, to move it forward, you could not do it no matter how good your intentions were. And finally, you had to pay the price in full. There was no partial payment. It's not like, oh, we're going to put Ruth on layaway. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. You had to pay the price in full. It was a complete payment or it didn't work. It was an all or nothing proposition. And since Boaz was related to Ruth, he was willing and able to redeem her and he paid the price in full as we'll see in chapter four next week. As we think about our families, there's probably a lot of us in this room that need some redemption in our families, don't we? There's situations, there's relationships, there's unmet expectations in marriages, in relationships with parents and kids, in relationships with extended family, things that have been said and done. Maybe there's people that have, that, that have even uh, not wanted to be around you because of your faith in Christ and your family. I don't know what your family looks like. Maybe the people have done really not smart things. And we need redemption in our families too. My friends, we have to look at Jesus as our redeemer. Because that's what this is a precursor to. It is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Because let's think about him as our redeemer. First of all, Jesus became like us. He's directly related to us because he became one of us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. At Christmas time, I like to say Jesus is God in a bod. God came for you and for me. He put on skin. And Romans tells us that sin came through one man, Adam. But redemption came through the one man, Jesus Christ. He became one of us. Because whether we realize it this morning or not, every single one of us in this room is broken, desperate, and destitute. And we're in a hole that we cannot dig ourselves out of because the wages of sin is death. That is death spiritually, separation from God, and death physically from everyone we know and love. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He became one of us. Bible tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh in verse 14 and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. He became one of us. Number two, Jesus was willing to do it. He was willing to do it. In John 10, Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own, record, own, own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sat there and in his humanity, he was scared of what was to come. I mean, if you knew you were going to die by crucifixion, any human being would be scared of that. And Jesus prayed to his father. He said, Father, take this cup from me. He's like, God, if there's any other way to redeem these people, please let's do it another way. But he, he learned obedience and he continued obedience in this. And he said, but not my will, 
but yours be done. And he obeyed all the way to the cross. My friends, Jesus could have called thousands, legions of angels to pull him down from that cross. But instead of getting pulled down from the cross, what did he do? He forgave the people who put him there. He laid it down willingly. This is the greatness of God. He laid down his life for you and for me. And I'm somebody as a senior in high school, when things weren't going my way, I told God to go somewhere and I flipped off heaven. I told him I didn't want anything to do with him. And he never let me go. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I don't care what you've said to him. I don't care what you've done. But there is no one that is too far from the reach of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he willingly laid his dive down for you to redeem you. You are loved. But not only that, he was able to redeem. He was able to redeem. Because like, like I just said, if you weren't able to do it, you didn't have the ability to, to redeem. But he was able to do it. Romans 5, 18 to 19 says this, consequently, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, what Adam did, so also one righteous act justified, resulted in justification and life for all people. What Jesus did. For just as though, just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. Because he's a son of God, he lived a sinless life, and he laid down that life for you and for me. He was able to do it. And finally, he, pay, he paid the complete price for our sin. Titus 2.14 says, He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. The beautiful thing about the Jesus' death, and death, burial, and resurrection is that it is a total and complete redemption. When you come to Jesus and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is, a th when you do those things, the slate is wiped clean. It is just as if you never sinned. Yes, even you. There is nobody in this room that's too far. There is no one here that's too far. But we must come to Christ. Salvation is found under no one else. There is no name under heaven by which men and women can be saved other than Jesus Christ. And this account of Boaz and Ruth is an early echo, is an early precursor of what Jesus would do for us. And it points to the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to turn over a few pages to Psalm 145. I just want to see this this morning. Psalm 145. This talks about what God has done. I want to read it together this morning. It's not going to be on the screen. If you're going to listen, that's great. If you want to hear it or read it together, please, please look it up. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and I bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will, praise, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and grin. His greatness is unsearchable. 
One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Praise God. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. All your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known the children of man, your mighty deeds, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion dominion endures throughout all generations. And it goes on and on, and and it talks about how the greatness of God is. This great God has made your redemption possible. And there are three types of people here today. And this is what I want us to remember as we walk away today. There are three people here today. There are some people here today. It is time for you to bow down before this great God who has offered you redemption because you've been playing games with God for way too long. You come to church and you act like you're religious. Religion will not save you. Religion doesn't save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ saves. Only him. And some of us in this room, you've maybe been raised in church. You've been here for a long time. It's time to stop playing games. It's time to bow down before the one who loves you and to make him the Lord of your life. It's not just about praying one day. One day back when I was 10 years old, I said some prayer that some pastor up front said, it's got to be in your heart. It's got to be your life. When we make Jesus the Lord, we say, I recognize who you are. And if we believe that he is this great, big, and mighty God who loves me, how can we not serve him? If he died in my place, how can I not want to give him my life? That's not to say you're not going to struggle. Every single one of us in here struggles because we're not perfect. But the reality is some of us here need to bow down before him. We got to bow down. We call on the name of the Lord. You confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you will be saved where you sit. Call on the name of Jesus this morning. Bow down before him. Some of us here need to remember who God is. Because life has just beat us up and spit us out. Some of us here need to lift our eyes back to him and get it off of all of our circumstances. Because if all we can see is what's in front of us, why do you think God says to lift your eyes? So that you see the one that can handle all of your circumstances. Because where does your help come from? He says, lift your eyes to the hills. For where does your help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We need to be reminded of who he is. We gotta be reminded of how great he is. And you need to be reminded that even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, you are never alone and you are always loved. Some of us here need to remember who God is. And some of us here need to press in more to God. We've got to press in. We've got to press in. Some of us here might have been coasting in our religion or being at church and serving and doing the things that we do. Some of us here have got to press in more. I'm thankful for those of you that are serving the Lord, but it might be time for you to press in some more 
Because God is always revealing more of himself. He's always telling us more of who he is through his word, how he uses us in certain circumstances. I love it, man. I, 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 we, we landed in Vegas this last week and had to take an Uber to go get our rental car. And crazy thing, it's like both of our Uber drivers I got to pray with or share the gospel with. I, I, it's just like this dude on the way from the airport to the, to, to, to the rental car place just started telling me his whole life about how he had like, he, he, he's, he broke up with a couple of girlfriends and he just was struggling and he was felt so alone and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, brother, you got to know you're not alone. There's a God who loves you. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm a man who really believes in Jesus and I really believe in prayer. And can I just pray for you? And the guy was like, what? He's like, well, yeah. I said, can I pray right now? He says, you know what? That'd be great. I prayed over him. Dude's in tears. I don't know what God's going to do with that. But man, just reminding somebody that, that, that they're not alone. We all got to press in. We got to put ourselves out there. You never know what God's going to do. I told Jeannie on the way uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to the hotel, I was like, man, working my evangelism muscles. Sometimes that's not always easy. You know, it's like, oh, put yourself out there. Is he even going to care? You know, and that, I'm not trying to say that I did something special because I didn't. I was nervous the whole time and almost didn't. I'm like, God, really? Yes, God, really? Yes, God, really? Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> am I really supposed to talk right now? I, uh, I'm here to see the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, <laughs> but it's, it's those conversations you have, right? But I'm telling you, when we press in, he reveals more of who he is. And some of us here need to press back in because he's redeemed you. And when we catch, catch the glimpse of what that redemption means, it can change us. It can change us. Bow down, remember, or press in. What is God calling you to do today? Now, Ruth was redeemed by Boaz as a picture of what Jesus would do. And, but I want to say one final thing. It sets up our message for next week as well. Redemption was found even in the honor here. Let's go back to Ruth. I want to look at the very last two verses. In verses, well, the last few, 18 to 22. I'm going to give you a minute. If you're looking it up in your device, I really want you to see this. It'll be on the screen, but I want us to see this because this is mind-blowing. Okay? The redemption wasn't just Boaz marrying Ruth. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, or Salmon, whoever says that. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now we can read this and go, great, this person begat, 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 begat. You know, we, we, we could read that and miss it, all right? You want to know whose mom Boaz was? Come on. It was Rahab. Yeah. Rahab, the prostitute, was Boaz's mom. from back in Jericho. The woman who had her life changed when the walls fell and she was obedient to God. You want to know that Ruth's son 
And Naomi's grandson was the grandfather of who? King David. Who came from the lineage of David? Jesus Christ. I don't care how far you've run. Neither does God. He welcomes you today to redeem you. He is your redeemer. And he died for you. If he can take a prostitute and a Moabite who didn't even know God before, Naomi and redeem them so much that the son of God would come from their line God will redeem you today if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead he is your redeemer if you feel worthless today that's a lie because the son of God died for you. And he's never been sorry for that. And he offers you forgiveness today. He offers you freedom today. He offers you broken chains today. He offers you redemption. Do you need to bow down? Do you need to remember? Or do you need to press in? offers you salvation today. We're going to sing a last song about the fact that death was arrested when Jesus died. And it changes our eternal destiny. And if you have questions this morning about who Jesus is, how you can come to know him as Savior, I would be honored to speak with you today. There's people at guest services that would love to speak with you today. If you'd like prayer this morning, come on up. I'd love to pray for you too. Do you need to bow down this morning? Do you need to remember this morning? Or do you need to press in this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you. Oh, I thank you for the Old Testament. It is a beautiful, beautiful account of you working in the lives of human beings, of men and women that so didn't deserve it, and yet you chose each one on purpose. You chose your people, and you chose these, these men and women to be in the line that you would, uh, of, of Jesus that would eventually save the world from their sins if we would just call on the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, today, if there's anybody here that doesn't yet know you, God, I pray that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord they would believe in their heart that God you raised Jesus from the dead God if there's somebody here who's just been playing the game I pray that they would bow down God if there's someone here that's struggling I pray that they would remember who you are and those that have been following you but maybe have struggles too we all are there God help us to press in and know you more Lord thank you for redeeming Ruth thank you for offering that redemption to us. We worship you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.